declare over this place today that Jesus was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief as one whom hit, men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he bore our grief 
and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with and by his stripes we are healed. I declare by the authority of the name of Jesus Christ that you can be healed in the name of Jesus, that he has the power to do it in Jesus' name. That if your soul is downcast and broken, if your heart is broken, you can be healed in the name of Jesus. If your mind is troubled and you can't leave anxiety behind you, you can be free and you can be healed in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, I declare spiritual healing over this place. I declare physical healing over this place. I declare mental healing over this place by the authority of the name of Jesus. have a need, lift your hand up. Lift it up right now. Don't hesitate. Say, Jesus, I give it to you. I give my need to you. I believe you can heal me. Please do it. Please heal me in Jesus' name. By the authority of the name of Jesus Christ, we declare and we decree freedom. We decree healing in the name of Jesus. display in power, in love, and we take authority in the name of Jesus today, in Jesus' name. Hear a story about what God continues to do today. This person submitted this. It says, due to making bad choices, three years ago, I lost my kids to DFS custody. God has completely changed my life. He set me free from addiction and restored everything that the enemy stole from me. I've been steadily fighting the courts for my kids back. I kept faith knowing God will bring my kids home. And my goal was to be back in unification with them. I'm happy to report my three babies are coming home. God to move talk about him 
Talk about what he's doing. Don't be quiet about it. I want to remind you, you can continue to worship our King through your giving today as you leave in our tie boxes, boxes, or you can give online. Let's pray over this place. God, we declare your word in this place today. And we set our gaze on you, and I pray faith be stirred. Because your blood and your cross are much more powerful than we can ever comprehend. Now we see in part. One day we will fully see just how good and great and caring and loving you are and just what the cross done for mankind. One day we will see, but today we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that this world is not the end, but we have a life beyond this one. We rejoice in the glory and the hope of God knowing that you see us where we're at and that you have all the ability to do what we need you to do to heal us spiritually, to heal us physically, to heal us mentally. And we proclaim these things over this place and over these people in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. There is nothing stronger than the testifieth these things, saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your love, love and your blood. And we rejoice today in the hope of the glory of God. Bless your word today. Help our pastor deliver that which you placed in his soul. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Brother Jack. Come on, but give the Lord praise as we get into the message today. Hallelujah. Wow, what a wonderful, lively congregation this morning. Thank you for your obedience to the Holy Spirit. 
God is working miracles in our congregation like crazy and we're beginning to get letters and cards and people testifying and there'll be more and more every Sunday. We're so thankful. I was so blessed the other day. My son Samuel called me and he said that I came in and I began to look in Juliet, began to look up at him and stare at him and all of a sudden she signed for the first time, Daddy. Hallelujah. God's so good. But you know what? One of these days I'm gonna hear her say it daddy because her earrings about to come open in Jesus name I believe that amen I want you to read the verse of scripture one more time in Revelations 22 and 20 he which testified these things saith surely I come quickly amen even so come Lord Jesus uh, there's no doubt that the signs of the time and the signs of this age are indicating that we're living in the end time a matter of fact, the Bible tells us in Job chapter 2, verse 28 and 29, that it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and upon my handmaidens and upon my servants I will pour out of my spirit. Now we know when that prophecy was fulfilled because the Bible tells us specifically when it was fulfilled. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all gathered together in one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a down from heaven as a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them clothing tongues as a fire that set upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost to begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of God gave them the utterance. And after that, grave out, that great outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, those 120 in that upper room took to the streets and they were speaking in tongues outside, of, outside in the streets and there were devout men in Jerusalem Jerusalem from every nation and they were amazed and they marveled and they said how is it that these Galileans are speaking in our native tongue and they said it's the wonderful works of God but no others mocked and they said these men be drunk but it was Peter that stood up with the eleven and said these are not drunk as you suppose seeing it's only the third hour of the day but this is that which the prophet Joe spoke about that in the last day saith God I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy and your old men's going to dream dreams and uh, and then he said and upon my handmaids and upon my servants I will pour out of my spirit so we understand by the uh, scriptural authority that you and I have been living in the very last days ever since the day of Pentecost uh, the day of Pentecost was the starting of what we call the end time and if it, and if we've been living in the end time since Pentecost over 2,000 years we understand the timetable of where we're living. Folks, we're living in the last of the last. We're living in the very midnight hour. Can I have an amen? We're living in that hour of Matthew chapter 25 when it talks about the ten virgins hearing about the call of the bridegroom coming, prepare ye to meet the Lord. We're at that hour and I believe that the call is going out even now. And not only that, we even see Jesus gave us an indication of where you and I are at on the timetable of God. He done it through a parable in the book of Matthew chapter 24. In Matthew chapter 24, it is known as the end time chapter. And you begin to read it and he begins to talk about the tribulation. He begins to talk about the rapture. He begins to talk about the moon turning to blood. All these different things in that chapter. And right in the middle, he tucks us, it tucks away a parable to let us know what timetable that you and I would be at at this particular point. He tells us in the book of Matthew 24, verse 32 through 34. Now learn a parable of the fig tree 
when his branch is yet tender and putteth forth its leaves, you know that the summer is nigh. So likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is, at the, that it is near even at the door. Verily I say unto you that this generation shall not pass until all of these things be fulfilled. Now he begins to give you the parable of the fig tree and in Joe he tells you who the fig tree is. It is Israel. And he says when you see Israel begin to be tender and bring forth its leaves and begins to blossom, know, he said, that the summer is nigh. And he goes on and says it's even at the door. And he said this generation that sees this happen will not pass until all things be fulfilled. What's he talking about? He's talking about when Israel had become a nation in one day and it brought forth life and it brought forth its lead. In 1948, that happened. And he said that there were people that were living in 1948 that will still be alive and they'll be eyewitnesses of the rapture of the church of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, folks, that's where we're at on the timetable of God. Somebody's looking at me and says, it can't be that precise. It is that precise. I want to tell you that we're at the threshold of the second return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's about to split the eastern sky. Be ye ready for the Son of Man is coming when you think not. Can I have a name? If you believe it, just give him praise in this house. Oh, hallelujah. Woo! That ought to make you happy. And, we, and as we see the day of Christ's return approaching, more and more people are asking me, especially as a pastor, will the church go through the tribulation period or will the saints of God be delivered out of it? There's a lot of questions there. There are several schools of thought concerning the rapture of the church in relationship to this thing called the great tribulation. There are those that believe in the post-tribulation view of the rapture, which means they actually believe that the church will go through all of the tribulation period. And then there are those that believe in mid-tribulation view of the rapture. These people believe that Christ will return for his church during the middle of the tribulation. And then there are those of us that believe in the pre-tribulation rapture. And what we believe is that we actually believe that the true church of Jesus Christ will be called away to be with the Lord before the tribulation ever begins. Now that ought to make somebody happy here today, amen? There is a great deal of conflict concerning uh, this, uh, uh, this point and there's a lot of confusion, a lot of different opinions uh, uh, of this particular subject. And many people say, well, it's just not worth debating over. It's not worth fighting over. And yet I believe it's very important to debate it and come to an understanding of the event that is to take place because it remains a vital and important doctrine of the church. Let me tell you, one of the most important doctrines that we believe in is the intimate return of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? The coming of the Lord of Jesus Christ is the blessed hope of the church. It was Paul that said in Titus 2 and 13, looking, now say looking, for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. He tells us to look for that blessed event, to watch for it. He's telling us, looking for the blessed, uh, the blessed hope. It's our hope. If Satan can confuse us on this particular point, he's won a great victory because it takes away the believer's expectation and hope 
if we do not believe that Jesus is coming to get us before the tribulation. When we speak of the rapture, we're referring to the event of the catching away of the church in the air. The word rapture is not found in the scripture. Don't try to find it. Don't go to your concordance. It's simply not there. It is just the best English word that we have in the English language to express that event. People say, you preach about a rapture. It's not scriptural because it's not in the Bible. Yes, it is. The word rapture comes from the Latin root word rapio, which means to snatch away suddenly. This is the best word that they could come up with to describe the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ for his church, known as the rapture, in, in the translation to the English language. That's why we use the word rapture. And Jesus told his disciples in John 14, verse one through three, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again to receive you to where I am, there you may be also. I want you to hold on to this just for a minute. Two things of thought. Number one, I want you to understand this is our hope. He said, let not your heart be troubled. And the second thing, he said, I know, he said, I will come to you and put, bring you to where I'm at. Can I have an amen? And then Paul again said in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 14, starting with verse 13, he said, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning them which have no hope. First of all, there's a lot of people that have no hope because they don't believe in the rapture of the church. The Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. I'm here to tell you, I have hope. I believe that Jesus Christ is coming again and I believe he's coming after a church without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing and a holy church and I'm ready to meet Jesus in the air. Can I have an amen? But he said, brethren, I would not have you to be ignorant concerning them which have no hope for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which, which believe in Jesus will God bring with him. First of all, who's, who is the candidates for the rapture? He said, for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Isn't that what Paul said in Romans 10, 9 and 10? He tells us if we'll confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But then he goes on, but if we'll confess confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead we shall be saved with the, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness with the mouth confession is made unto salvation the simple plan of salvation is to repent and to believe upon Jesus Christ and confess him and believe that Jesus died for us and he rose again on the third day them are the ones that God's going to bring with him can I have an amen and then he says for this I say unto you from the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain shall not prevent them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And listen to his last words, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now listen to the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 now we beseech you brethren by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together under him notice that he said that we would gather together unto him notice the phrases in these three different scriptures and how that they bring the same message together in John 14 that we quoted he said I will, re I will receive you unto myself as I go build the mansions and all of that but then he says at the beginning of that don't be troubled have hope Hope. Don't be troubled. Have hope. 
And then in First Thessalonians 4, it says, we shall be caught up together with him in the clouds. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. There he goes again. Because of you believing in the rapture, you can have comfort, you can comfort one another. Your heart don't have to be troubled. You can have hope. Can I have an amen? And then in the second Thessalonians 2, it says, until our gathering together unto him. At the rapture, the saints are going to where he's at. Colossians 3 and 4 says, when Christ our life shall appear, then we shall appear with him in glory. I don't know about you folks, but I'm here to tell you that I really believe that the Lord could come at any given time and the Feast of Tabernacles and stuff that's coming up is a good time for him to come. And I, I, don't, I, I don't have a time to teach on part of that, but I'm here to tell you, you better be ready because Jesus is about to split the eastern sky. Jesus Christ is coming again. Give him praise if you believe it. Amen. When the dead in Christ are resurrected, the living saints are transformed according to the word of the Lord. They will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting with verse 50. Mortality shall put on immortality and corruption shall put on corruption. And when mortality is put on immortality and when corruption is put on incorruption, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, O death, where's thy sting? O grave, where's thy victory? He said the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be unto God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are at Christ at his appearing are translated, caught up to meet Jesus in the air. This is what we call the rapture of the church. I don't know, but here any moment, I can almost just hear the, the, the trumpet blow and there's dead people scattered all over this earth. There may be graves under this building and all of a sudden, boom, a saint will just pop up right there with us and we'll be caught up together, changed in a moment in the twinkle of eye and be caught up to be with Jesus Christ. Oh, hallelujah. I'm looking forward to that event. The concept of a pre-tribulation rapture has been established among Pentecostals for years and years and years. It's not a new doctrine like they proclaim. Even the early church preached it. We believe there's ample scriptural documentation for our belief that the church will not go through any part of the great tribulation period. We as a church will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air before the actual tribulation, actual period begins. Nowhere in scripture is the church associated with the tribulation period or the time of judgment that shall come upon the earth. The tribulation period is known in prophecy as Daniel's 70th week or the day of Jacob's trouble. Now we don't have time to go back and just dissect all of that or we'd be here all day. But according to Jeremiah, the tribulation period is time of judgment for Israel. The Israel is being judged and corrected because of her rejection of the Messiah. The Israel was God's chosen people that God chose to be a nation of priests put on the crossroads of the world to perpetuate the gospel of Jesus Christ to the world. They were to be the evangelists. They were to be the priests of the earth, but they rejected him. Jesus came into his own, the Jewish people, but his own received him not. They rejected 
rejected the Messiah. They rejected Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, they were cast off. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that they were cut off from the commonwealth of God. But however, God had a covenant with them, an everlasting covenant. And even though they're cut off from the commonwealth of grace right at this moment, the Bible tells us that there's still an everlasting covenant hanging over their heads that God made with Israel and they would not be cut off forever. That's what the Bible tells us. And matter of fact, Jeremiah 30 and 7 says, for that day is great, talking about the tribulation, so that none is like in it. It is even the time of, say this with me, Jacob. Jacob's trouble, it's called Israel's trouble, but he, talking about Israel, shall be saved out of it. You know what Jeremiah just prophesied? He said the whole tribulation is about correcting Israel, and it's a time of their correction to where when God, though they rejected him and they were cut off, he's going to graft them back in together because of the everlasting covenant that he made with Abraham. He cannot lie. He's putting them through the corrective rod and it, uh, and in that tribulation, all of Israel's going to be saved as a result of God keeping covenant. And he's telling them, it's Jacob's trouble. It's not the time of the church's trouble or correction. It's the time of Israel's correction. Can I have an amen? If you don't believe me, look what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 11, starting with verse 21. I think they're going to put that up because it's kind of lengthy and I want you to see it. If God spared not the natural branch, that's Israel, Take heed also he spare not thee, that's us, the Gentile church. Behold therefore the goodness and the severity of God. On them, talking about Israel, which felt severity, the severity, judgment came. But toward thee, the Gentiles, goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou also shall be cut off. You know what God says? God says, you Gentiles, you're living in the dispensation of grace, but you frustrate the grace of God, you can be cut off just like Israel was cut off. Don't frustrate my grace. And then verse 23, and they, talking about Israel, also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in for God's able to graft them in again. Matter of fact, in a moment, you're gonna see in this same chapter where it talks about that they're cut off in part. Matter of fact, most, if you go to Israel, almost all that whole nation is agnostic. There's very few believers there. However, there is a part, a remnant that God has of Messianic Jews. They're saved. They believe in the Messiah. Praise God for that. But as a whole, Israel right now is blinded. There's blinders on their eyes unless they should see and be saved. Look at verse 24. For if thou Gentiles, he's talking about the Gentiles, were cut out of the olive tree, which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more? shall these, which be natural branches, talking about Israel, be grafted in their own olive tree again. Now look at verse 25. For I would not, brethren, that you would be ignorant of this mystery, lest ye would, should be wise in your own concepts, that blindness in part, blindness in part, has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. You know what that means? That Israel's gonna remain blind as a whole until the Gentiles is come to its fullness, the Gentile age being the church age, and when that church age is at full and it's caught up and it's raptured out, 
then Israel goes in the time of correction and it's then during that tribulation period that the blinders will fall off of Israel. It'll happen three years into the middle of the tribulation when the Antichrist goes to the temple and sets himself up to be God. It's called the desolation of abominations. He goes and he sits there and claims to be God. Israel's going to say, uh-oh, we have messed up. This is not him. Their blinders are going to fall off and then Israel's going to begin to do what she was called to do in the very beginning. They're going to start a revival like crazy and thousands upon thousands are going to be saved in the tribulation period because Israel is going to go into her destiny. All of Israel shall be saved. Ah. Let me just shake it off of me for a minute. Hallelujah. This is exciting, church. Wow. Then verse 26 says, put it up there, verse 26. Good job. And so all Israel shall be saved as it is written. There shall come out of Zion the deliverer and turn away ungodliness from Jacob. This will happen at the end of the tribulation period, this deliverance when the Antichrist and all of his armies are coming up through the battle of Armageddon to wipe out Israel, that is when Jesus is gonna come back to earth the second time. You gotta understand, and I ain't gonna preach on this point very long, but the second coming of Christ, I have all kinds of scriptures to back it up, is in two parts. Just like a ball game has nine innings to consummate a ball game, even so, I want you to know the second coming of Christ is in two parts. He comes first of all, and what does he do? He hovers in the sky. He does not touch the earth. We are called unto him, are gathering together unto him. Can I have an amen? He comes to receive us, to take us to where he's at. Can I have an amen? But there's another time that he comes again, but this time he's not coming after his saints. The saints are with him coming back on white horses. And he's coming after the end of the tribulation period there to be the deliverer of Israel, to be the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and he's going to come down. And when all that big massive army is going in through the battle of Armageddon to destroy Israel, it says he shall tread the winepress alone. It's not going to be a war of us fighting any longer. I want to tell you our war is over, but our chief, our captain of our salvation, our king of kings and lord of lords is going to come down and with the, he's going to consume them with the words of his mouth. Hallelujah. He's going to be right a white stallion. He came in on a donkey the first time representing peace but this time he's coming back on a royal stallion declaring war upon the nations and he'll smite them and I want you to know he'll destroy those that's come against Israel and Israel will come into their destiny and Israel will be saved. Hallelujah. Praise God. That ought to make you happy. I want to tell you the first time he didn't touch earth but the second time he's touching earth. And when he does, he's going to put his foot on the Mount of Olives and an earthquake's going to happen. 
and there, the earth is going to split between the north and the south and there's going to be a great earthquake to the point that he's going to ride into that eastern gate that they got sealed up and said they sealed it up because they thought the Messiah said he'd come through the eastern gate. Well, he's coming through that eastern gate. That eastern gate's going to blow apart and Jesus is going to come riding in and he's going to come into Jerusalem instead of the Antichrist sitting on the throne. Jesus is said on the throne at Jerusalem. He'll be king of kings and Lord. He'll take charge of the temple. Hallelujah. Daniel 9 and 24 then says, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make a reconciliation for iniquity. Now this is what he's doing for Israel. What's he doing? To finish their transgression, to make an end of their sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy one, to where they'll accept him as the most holy one, that they'll accept him as king. That is talking about the tribulation period. First of all, I want you to know, according to Daniel, 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. The holy city that they're talking about is Jerusalem. And let me tell you, we right now, us Gentiles, we are living between what they call the 69th and the 70th week of Daniel. It is a dispensation of grace where time is put on hold. 69 weeks, Israel come up through it, rejected the Messiah, they were cut off, time stopped. A Gentile bride was formed. Those of us, a Gentile is anybody that's not a Jew. He reached out into the nations and he brought us in and we're a part of the body of Christ. We've been redeemed by the precious blood of the Lord. And I want to tell you, the 70th week cannot start until the rapture of the church takes place and we're out of the way. And then the 70th week starts and God then begins to finish the transgression of Israel to make an end of their sins and to make reconciliation for their iniquity. He's out to save them and to bring in an everlasting righteousness upon them and to seal the vision of the prophecies that has already been prophesied about it to make those prophecies come to pass and there, there Israel will accept for the first time Jesus Christ as their king and they'll anoint him as the most holy one. Hallelujah. Isn't that powerful? Hallelujah. You know, we're, we're in what they call the grace dispensation or the church dispensation. It's a time of blindness for Israel, but it's a time of us being the church, the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. This passage refers directly to Israel and not unto the church. Can I tell you folks, too many times people want to take the prophecies and the blessings and the cursings that is to Israel and relate them to the church. As a matter of fact, there is a replacement theology that says that the church has replaced Israel. That is not true. It's false doctrine. Amen? Israel is not the bride of Christ. Israel is not the church. We're the church. Is everybody with me? They're agnostic. The bride is a Gentile bride. No place in scripture mentions the church being on earth during the tribulation period. I'm sorry, it's not there. I'm gonna give you more proof. You want more proof? I'm gonna give it to you. The very nature of the tribulation period argues against the church going through any part of it. When the tribulation period is a time of judgment, it's a time when the wrath of God is poured out upon the earth, it's not a time of chastisement for the church. It's a time of punishment and judgment. There's a big difference. God does chastise us even now. How many gets chastised of the Lord? 
There's corrective discipline. He chastises us even now. But God's church is his chosen possession and he has saved us from the wrath that is to come. The church is not anticipating or looking for the wrath and the judgment of God because we've already been judged at Calvary. I'm judged by the Lord. How am I judged? Because when I was out in sin, lost and undone, and I came to the cross, and I knelt down, and I received Jesus Christ, and I allowed him to be my substitute for my sin, and the punishment was rolled upon him instead of me, and I received him, and the blood of the Lord washed me whiter than snow, and I became redeemed. God made a judgment about me concerning who I was at that very moment. It's called the judicial act of God of justification, where God looked down and seen the blood of the lamb. He no longer sees my sin. He no longer sees what I've done, and he looks at me and says, you're as just as if you've never sinned. I'm already judged. I will not be judged during the tribulation. I am judged at Calvary. I am free from the wrath that is to come because God only sees the blood over my life. If you're a believer, he'll pass over you from the wrath of God because you got the blood of the lamb upon you. Hallelujah. We've been redeemed by the blood. Oh, I could preach a message on the blood right now. Amen. The church is looking for the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, which is deliverance from the wrath that is to come. That's what it is. This is our hope. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18, the scriptures that we quoted to you, God give, or Paul gives a beautiful description of the rapture of the church about the dead in Christ rising first, hearing the trump of God and all that. But the next chapter, we don't read a lot. He continues with this theme of the Lord's coming in mind. Listen to what he said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1 through 3. But the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. I'm going to go slow here. People say I quote too fast. Well, I can quote this, but I can't quote it slow, so I'll read it. For you yourselves know that perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. Say thief in the night. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. Now, this is just one of the reasons that I'm convinced the church will not be subject to any portion of what is referred to in Scripture as the believers going into tribulation. He told us that we don't need to know the time or the seasons of the events of the tribulation. That's what he said. But the times of these seasons talk about the tribulation, brethren, I have no need to write unto you. There's no sense in writing that to you. You don't have to understand that. Paul said that he had no need to write unto us because the Lord is coming as a thief in the night. We won't be there to experience it anyway, so we don't have to have knowledge of it. Why do I got to know about something that I'm not going to be at? Come on. Then after his coming, there will be sudden destruction. However, this does not mean that the church will not suffer trials and tribulation. Because trials and tribulation is with us even now. The Bible tells us, 2 Timothy 3 and 12, yea, all that will live godly in this present world shall suffer persecution. He tells us in Matthew 10 22, you're going to be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end the same shall be saved. Folks, we're going through tribulation now. We may face trials and tribulations, but we will not go through that thing called the great tribulation. Folks, I want to tell you, the church has been suffering and going through tribulation for 2,000 years. Amen? 
And Paul offers the church consolation when he tells the church not to worry about the tribulation period when he wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, starting with verse 4. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. You are the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. He's saying, you don't have to worry about the tribulation because you're people of light. You're sober. You're watchful. You're going to miss that event because of who you are. You're children of light. And again, Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 9 and 10, for God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us that whether we wake or sleep, whether we're awake or we're dead, we should live together with him. Now notice, God said that he has not appointed us to wrath. God is talking to the church, to the believers, the saints at Thessalonica, the children of light, and this is what he's saying. All of the saints are appointed to obtain salvation by the Lord Jesus Christ, and that word salvation is not talking about the forgiveness of sin. They're already forgiven. But it carries with it the same meaning that the scripture uses in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 28. It's the same Greek word translated there. It says, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. It's talking about the full redemption of the total salvation of the saint. The spirit, the soul, and the body, it's talking about the rapture. It's talking about the catching away of the saints to meet the Lord in the air and the saints to be changed. Number one, God has not appointed you under wrath and the great tribulation is the time of wrath and judgment. Give yourself a hand clap, you're gonna miss it. Golly, you ought to be happy. Amen. And number two, we are appointed to obtain salvation because verse 10 says, who died for us, that whether we were awake or asleep, whether we're awake or still dead, we should live together with him. He's called us to live together with him while the tribulation's taking place. Look at what 1 Thessalonians 1 and 10 says. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. He says, right now we're waiting for Jesus who died for us, who was raised from the dead, even to come and catch us, to deliver us from that wrath that is about to appear. In other words, before the wrath can be poured out, I gotta be gone. Woo, hallelujah. That's what he says. We're not to be looking for the tribulation. We're to be looking for the son of the living God. He appears to those that are looking for him. Can I have an amen? We're looking for the return of Jesus right now. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7 through 9, it says, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, talk about the coming again, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. It may be true that we are troubled with trials and afflictions at this present time. I don't deny that. 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, even in Paul's day, he said, we are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. But Paul said in 2 Thessalonians 1, he said, those of you that are troubled, rest with us. Take rest, take comfort. The believer in the midst of his trial and in the hour of his persecution is to take rest in the blessed hope of the second coming of Jesus Christ who died and gave himself for us who's coming to free us from the wrath to come. 
Paul said that the sufferings of this present time cannot be worthy to be compared to the eternal weight of glory that's about to be revealed in us. He said, the eye is not seen, nor ear heard, nor is it entered the heart of man, the things that God's got prepared for them that love him. That's why he said, I fought a good fight, I kept the faith, I finished the course. Henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give unto me, but not only me, but to all of them that love his appearing. They're looking for his appearing. Somebody give the Lord praise. Oh, I'm about to preach. Then when all the rest of the world shall receive the torments of God and flaming judgment, the saints will be at rest with him. That's what he said. I didn't make it up. He's coming to take us to where he's at so we can rest with him while all hell's taken loose upon the earth. I'm gonna be at the marriage supper of the Lamb. I'm not just gonna have a T-bone, I'm gonna have a whole cow. Can I have an amen? I'm here to tell you there will be sitting at the reward seat of Christ our lives will flash before the Lord. All of the wood and hay and stubble will be burned up, but the precious gold of God will begin to give us rewards of those things that we got right. Can I have an amen? Hallelujah. And we'll be married to Jesus Christ. It's called the great, wonderful judgment seat of Christ. We're going to be there, but we're going to miss the tribulation because it'll be going on at the very same time. Oh, God, help me. This has always been the principle in God's operation. It's always been the pattern. Look at it through Scripture. Did you know that God did not destroy the first world until Noah was safe in the ark? Did you know it did not start raining? Judgment did not start coming. Not one drop of water started. Everybody says, well, how much judgment's coming before? Well, just when are we going to be placed there? I'll tell you when we're going to be placed there. Not one drop of water fell. And to Noah, the eighth person, got all of his family on the ark. That Noah, the eighth person, got in the ark. You know what the Bible says in the book of Genesis 7-1? Come thou and all thy house into the ark, Noah. And then he got in and the Bible says, and the Lord shut him in, or the spirit of the Lord shut the door. And then when that happened, guess what? When he was safe in the ark, who's the ark? Jesus Christ. And when he was safe in the ark, judgment began. Judgment cannot begin until I'm safe in the ark of Jesus Christ. Can I have an amen? God did not destroy Sodom and Gomorrah until righteous Lot was delivered. Fire and brimstone did not fall until God got righteous Lot out. Everybody wants to criticize old Lot about making wrong decisions. He did, but he kept himself pure because he's called righteous Lot. Amen? Even though he's in a wrong place at a wrong time and having a lot of trouble, yet I want to tell you, God delivered him out of the Sodom and Gomorrah, and when he did, then fire and brimstone fell, but not until that righteous light was out of it. Until the church is raptured out of this old world, the hour of God's judgment cannot and will not come. The church age is an age of grace and a time of mercy and long-suffering. God did not tell us that he would preserve us during the tribulation. That's nonsense. God did not say, though I'll preserve the church from all these judgments, though they're going to be on the earth at the same time. That's not true. But he did say this. This is what Jesus did say in Luke 21, 36. Watch ye therefore. Say watch. That's important. And pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to say the next word with me, escape. You know, I've done something on vacation that was kind of odd. 
If you ever get the opportunity to do it, don't do it, it'll drive you nuts. I went to a place and they threw me in this little room and said, now you gotta escape, look for the clues. There's six of us in this little room trying to figure our way out of it. And these clues, you catch a clue and then all of a sudden you get the combinations, you unlock locks and things happen. Well, we didn't make it out. <laughs> we didn't beat the time. I'm a little bit close to, what do you call that? There you go. I was about to go nuts. And I'm here to tell you, thank God it's not by my works that I'm gonna escape this. It's by the works of who he is and what he's done in my life. Can I have an amen? But look again, in Luke 21, 36, watch ye therefore, pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Folks, if there's not a scripture that makes it any more plainer than this. There's just not one. This verse literally says that if we watch and if we pray and remain alert and remain sober, remain watchful, that we can escape all the things that shall come upon the earth because we will be worthy to stand before the Son of Man at his appearing at the rapture of the church. That's what he's saying. When you look into Revelations, you see that after the saints have been raptured, the church is not again pictured on the earth until the thousand-year millennial kingdom. From chapters four through chapters 19 of Revelation, the church is seen in heaven around the throne eternal, robed in linen, clean and white with crowns of gold upon their head. That's where we're at. The church is not seen again on earth until the saints come back with Christ to defeat the Antichrist and establish his kingdom upon the earth during the millennial reign. Before the fourth chapter of Revelations, the church is mentioned 14 times and each time that it is mentioned, the church is on the earth. And beginning with the fourth chapter, the church is caught up and God no longer deals with the church on earth, but the church, which is the redeemed of the Lord in heaven. That's where he refers us to. Further conclusive proof of the pre-tribulation rapture is found in the book of 2 Thessalonians. The two books of Thessalonians, you have to understand this, are devoted entirely to the subject of the coming of the Son of God. These two books are known as the book, books of the advent. And the event that he's talking about is the second return. The apostle Paul had written the first book of the Thessalonians describing the rapture of the church. That's what he wrote to them. And during the interval between Paul's first and second epistle, before he got the second one done and gave to them, some false prophets had written a letter forging Paul's name and stating that tribulation had already begun. The church was under severe persecution at the time and these false prophets declared that it was beginning of the tribulation. These saints at Thessalonica had become quite disturbed and confused. They didn't know what to believe. They knew that Paul had said that they would be delivered through the rapture before the tribulation, but these guys are saying, hey, the tribulation is here, and it appeared that it was because of the hot persecution they were going through. They knew that Paul had promised that they would be caught away before the wrath of God would take place, and now they're confused wondering, What's Paul right? What's going on here? Paul then addresses them in the second book, in the book of 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 8. Listen to what he says. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, talking about the rapture, that ye be not soon shaken in mind, don't get troubled, or be troubled neither by spirit, nor by word, nor by letter as from us, 
as that day of Christ is at hand. Now, first of all, he's saying, look, don't get yourself all upset by what somebody has said, by some what word is said, or by what some letter is given to you that's supposedly been by us. He said, let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except first of all, there came a great falling away first, and the man of sin be revealed, the man of perdition who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshiped so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God showing himself that he is God. Now, if you stop right there, it looks like that the second coming of Christ cannot come until this man of perdition is revealed and he's sitting on the throne in the temple at the time of the desolation of abominations. But let's go on. He clarifies it. Verse five, remember ye not that when I was yet with you, I told you these things. And now ye know what withholdeth and that he, the Antichrist, might be revealed in his time. For the mystery of iniquity does already work. Only he who will now let, will let until he be taken out of the way, talking about the church. And then shall that wicked one be revealed from the Lord and the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and destroy him with the brightness of his coming. Now, let me dissect that for you. It's kind of hard because you're not reading it and you're not seeing it on the board. Paul warned the saints that they were not to be deceived by any means, neither by the spirit or by word or by epistle or by the letter that these people wrote to them. Paul said, that day shall not come except there be a great apostasy and an abandonment of the faith. And we've seen that happen in the last day. And the man of sin, the son of perdition, the antichrist be revealed. He's went on to say that the Antichrist could not be revealed until he who now hinders be taken out of the way. Paul said when the hindrance is removed, then and then only will the Antichrist be able to appear. And he tells you who the hindrance is. Us, the church. The tribulation period cannot come, neither can the Antichrist be revealed until the restraining force, which is the church, be caught up and met Jesus in the air. We're the restraining force. We are the ones that's got the power and the dominion and the authority to push back the darkness. We are the light of the world. We're the city that sit on a hill that cannot be removed. I'm so sick of the church. I gotta get off my notes. I feel this thing. I am so sick of the church bowing down, saying, well, what will be, will be. Look how bad things are. It's gonna get bad. Well, you know, the Bible prophesies. I wanna tell you, the Bible may have prophesied all that stuff about what's gonna happen in tribulation, how bad it's gotta be all set up. That's true. But I wanna tell you, it don't have to happen on our watch because we are the restraining force. We are the church of the living God. And I wanna tell you that Antichrist cannot come because if he comes, we have the power to bind him. We have the power to push him back. I'm here to tell you it's time that the church rise up. I declare healing over this. There's no reason why we can't be healed in these last days and have a revival. We don't have to have apostasy rise up in the church and everybody grow cold and indifferent and become mediocre church and just fall back and be lethargic as, as if God ain't even alive. I'm here to tell you that ain't the end time church. The end time church is a powerful church. It's a holy church. It's a redeemed church. It's a church that has authority and power and great glory of falling and revivals coming to the true church of Jesus Christ. Stand to your feet and praise him. Hallelujah.
Well, what will be, will be. We can't stop it. We can't change anything anyway. Hogwash. We're the restrainer, buddy. He can only take over what we allow him to take over. Well, we can't stop the schools. Yes, we can stop the school systems from being corrupt. Come on, somebody. Well, we're just going to have to accept this transgender thing. No, we don't. I'm so sick of all this stuff being pushed down our throat as if we got to accept it. Oh, I'm getting off my mode. We're going in the wrong direction now. We, the church, do not need to be looking for the wrath or the judgment of God's fury to be poured out upon the earth. I I don't need to be looking for the mark of the beast. Come on, somebody. Somebody asked me, man, they're putting chips in. You think we're going to take this mark by accident? You're not going to take the mark of the beast if you're a child of God. You're going to be gone before it's ever even offered. Are you listening to me? You're not going to take it. You're not going to take it by mistake. Quit worrying about that nonsense. So much anxiety. I'm just a fearful. I don't know what. You're not going to do that because it ain't going to be offered till we're gone. We as the church need to lift up our heads and rejoice because our redemption draweth nigh. We don't need to be looking for the tribulation, but the rapture. If the devil can get the church looking for the tribulation period rather than the rapture, then he'll destroy the blessedness of our experience and the hope and the expectancy of our hour. The devil hates the doctrine of the intimate return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what do I mean by the intimate return? I want to tell you, he can come anytime right now. There's not now no sign need to be fulfilled. There's no prophecy needing to be filled before the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. He can come for his church today and do no violence to the Holy Scripture. Can I have an amen? If he's not coming until the middle of the tribulation or into the end of the tribulation, why should I even be looking for him? Hello? Because I'm telling you, we're not in the tribulation yet, and we're not in the middle of the tribulation, and we're not at the end of the tribulation, so why should I be looking for it? Because if all that's got to happen before he comes, i got to wait for all that to happen for me to anticipate his coming. Come on, somebody. Is somebody with me here? There is no reason for the church to look for him until the tribulation actually begins. If you believe in pre-middle trib or in the, in the tribulation or in the rapture after, after the end of the tribulation, this kind of thinking destroys the glorious hope and the constant expectation of his return. And it violates the scripture. I'm gonna give you three things I'm gonna close. Matthew 24, 44. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man is coming. Matthew 25, 13. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour when the Son of Man cometh. Matthew 13, 37. And what I say unto you, I say unto you all, Watch, look for it, anticipate it, believe in it, watch for it, be ready, long for it, pray for it. Folks, I want to tell you, we right now are to be occupying until he comes. And we're to be pushing back the forces of evil. We're to understand our authority. 
We're to understand the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the anointing of the Holy Spirit breaks the yoke of bondage. Amen? I, I come against every cancer cell in every person's body in this building in the name of Jesus. Them cancer cells shall die. Tumors will dry up and wither because the nourishment that feeds it shall wither. But the people shall live, saith the Lord. We declare the word of the Lord's healing. For he's a God that forgiveth of all of our iniquities and heals all of our diseases. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities and the chastisement of our peace was upon him. And through his stripes we are healed. He is the Lord God, Rapha, Jehovah Rapha, meaning the Lord that healeth us. He is our God. He is our fortress. He's our buckler. He's our shield. He's our high tower. He is not sending us into the wrath of God and the tribulation. He's calling us to be a pure people, ready for the rapture of the church so we can have a gather together to him where we can rest with him and miss those things that shall come upon the earth. So rejoice, O palace of praise. Magnify the Lord. Why? Look up. Lift up your eyes your, because your redemption's at hand. Amen. Would you stand with me, please? Hallelujah. I'm here to tell you the Lord's coming. I'm here to tell you I preach my best. I, now, there's a lot more to preach. I just don't have the time. I think Brother Reasons, I asked him what he's preaching tonight, and we were talking. He said, what you preaching on? I said, the second coming across, he looked at me real strange. I said, what's going on? He said, man, I'm preaching about biblical prophecy. I'm preaching about where we're at and God's timetable. And he started to say, so I said, well, I'm saying that. And he said, well, don't, you know, and so finally we just kind of shut up. What will be, will be. I hope I was all over his message. I hope I messed it up. Amen. But he's going to be talking about biblical prophecy tonight. I don't know all where he's going. But he's going to be talking. He did say about the Gog and Magog war. He's going to be talking about some of the things in the book of tribu in the tribulation. I know that. But I'm here to tell you, don't be looking for the mark of the beast. Don't be worried and fretting, but have a blessed hope. If you're a believer here today, you got a blessed hope. Jesus is coming. Watch for him. Look for him. Be sober. Be watchful. Be pure. Be, be a, a pure people so that you be counted worthy to escape all these things that shall come upon the earth. Amen? With every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're not saved here today, I'm going a different direction in my altar call because I feel it. I'm here to tell you, we're, we're at the door right now. Seventy-four years has passed since 1948. Seventy-four years, if I'm calculating right in my head. And Jesus said in the book of Matthew 24 that there's going to be people in that generation that will still be alive when the second coming of Jesus Christ comes at the first part of the rapture of the church. Now, folks, we're close. We're here. We're at the door. We're at the midnight hour. If you're not ready, I want you to come up here. And if you don't know if you're ready, I want you to come up here and we're going to pray for you. If you're not saved, you need to be saved. This is serious business. I want to tell you, one of the worst nightmares of my life would be to wake up and know that the saints is gone 
and I'm still alive because I know what's going to happen for the next seven years of my life if I live even a fraction of those seven years with the wrath and the judgments and the vials being poured out and the persecution of a believer who missed it, who had not the robes washed in the blood of the Lamb, who was not worthy, that was lukewarm and he spewed them out of his mouth into tribulation. Oh God, I don't want to be a lukewarm person that he spews out into the middle of tribulation. He's talking to the church there, the Laodicean church. Because you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. He spews them into tribulation because they're not worthy to go in the rapture of the church. If you're not ready, we're going to make you ready right here today. We're going to let you plead the blood of Jesus Christ over your life. And if you'll believe that Jesus died and rose again and you'll repent of your sin and accept him as Lord, you will be saved. Can I have an amen? Are you here this morning? need God's grace? Do you need God's grace this morning? If you do, I want you to come right now. If you don't hurry, I'm going to go to another step to the altar call. Are you ready to give your life to the Lord? Are you ready to make sure? Okay, instead of having an altar call, what I want this church to do, I want you to give the Lord praise. All right, thank you, thank you. Can I have some women, please, right here? In Jesus' name. This is what it's about. This whole service, this is what it's about. Is there any others? You gotta be ready for the rapture. You can't be lukewarm, you can't be cold, you can't be indifferent, you can't be straddled on the fence, you can't be playing church. You can't, listen to me, church. You can't be coming to church on Sunday and partying all week. You can't be coming to church on Sunday and worshiping God and living in adultery through the week. We gotta be ready. He's coming after a pure church, one without spot or blemish or wrinkle or any such thing. Be man enough, a woman enough to say, I, I just don't know, I wanna just make sure. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I admire you for coming. I want you to come, the Lord's moving. Hallelujah. Thank God we have three this morning that's checking their lives out, getting ready for the intimate return of Jesus Christ. I love you, saints. I love you with all my heart. And I don't know, but when that rapture takes place, I'm gonna be in contest with my wife. I'm going before she is. The dead in Christ is gonna rise first. We're gonna be caught up together with them. They're not gonna beat us in the air. We're gonna be caught up together with them. And we're gonna be gone in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Isn't that gonna be wonderful? Isn't that gonna be wonderful, saints? Everybody says they're coming after the church. Well, they may be coming after a ghost because the church is about to be gone. We're not going out as a weak, anemic, weary old woman. We're going out as a precious honeymoon bride. Vibrant, alive. Come on, doing great exploits for God. I'm ready for us to accept the call and the mandate of the, quit. There's so much anxiety in our, come on guys. There's so much anxiety in our world. The church people are sitting around fretting and they're heavy hearted and they're depressed and they're, 
and they're worried and they're fretting and they're wondering if their retirements are going to hold true and they're going to wonder what investments and what's going to happen if, if the retirements clap. Everything they put in is going to be gone or wiped away. Just like, don't worry, don't fret, rest in the Lord. He's coming again. Hallelujah. Now I want this body to rejoice as if you think your life depends upon it. Look up, lift up your eyes. Your redemption draw nigh, give him praise and tell him you're ready. In Jesus' name. Ah, yeah, come on. In Jesus' name. Now, be the New Testament of Jesus Christ without fear, without worry, without anxiety, without any of that kind of stuff. Go into the highways and the byways, compel them to come, lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. In Jesus' name, God bless you. Saturday was silent, surely it was through. Since when has it possible ever stopped you? Friday's disappointment and Sunday's empty too. Since when has it possible ever stopped you? This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is the phrase that the dead man walk again. Open the grave, I'm coming out. I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of travel, travel. Pentecostal Stone that was rolled in the tomb in the garden. 
Jesus, Jesus.